Welcome, this is Anthony Haynes, I'm Creative Director of Frontinus Limited. Welcome to the Greylit Cafe podcast brought to you by Frontinus Limited. Frontinus is a communications consultancy focused on engineering, infrastructure, sustainability and research. One aim of this podcast is to provide information, advice and guidance by genre. And in this episode, the genre we're going to focus on is online lecturing. To discuss this genre, I'm delighted to have with me Dr. Bart Hallmark, who lectures in chemical engineering. So welcome, Bart. Good morning, Anthony. It's lovely to be here. Thank you. Let's launch straight into the topic. I suppose the obvious starting point is to ask you, what's your experience in online lecturing? Well, I have to be completely honest, before June 2020, my experience was precisely zero. Um, (laughs) By that point, I'd lectured for around 15 years in one form or another to either small groups or full-size classes. But of course, in June 2020, COVID came along and everything changed. And in common with the rest of the global academic community, we were suddenly told by our management that, look, we can't do this in person anymore. We have to go to a mix of blended learning, some online material, maybe in person if that's still an appropriate and safe thing to do, but we just don't know. And so at that point, I thought, oh, right, well, um, (laughs) it's all going to change, isn't it? (laughs) Um, (laughs) So at that point, I had, I think, what could only be phrased as sort of an induction by fire into mm. how to get online lectures up and running and working. And in mm. a way, we were very fortunate because we were given complete freedom how to do it. Mm. The institution I worked in at that point in time did start to put together resources to allow people to do it. However, there was a fairly large department and a fairly small number of resources. So mm. Mm. I approached my then director of teaching and said, look, I've got a plan. I want to do this. Do you agree? And he went, go and do it. (laughs) Um, So over a period of four to five months, I taught myself everything I needed to know, or I think I did. I'm not entirely sure. Others may Mm. disagree. But by December of that year, I'd launched a YouTube channel. Mm. I'd made 145 videos covering four courses in chemical engineering, plus some additional tutorials on the side. And... I figured by that point I got a little bit of experience of online lecturing. <laughs> That's extraordinary productivity, 145 videos in that time period. Let me ask you, we, we, we tend on this podcast to start to examine each genre by looking at the pitfalls, the, the things that people do they shouldn't do or the things they should do that they, they don't do. So may I ask you, what, what do you think of the, the main pitfalls with online lecturing? Well, I think, if I'm frank, there are many, many pitfalls, but it's very easy to get hung up in detail, and perhaps that is in itself one pitfall. Mm. Um, So the first thing I did, not knowing what the pitfalls was, really to look around what other people did. And I think that there's a heck of a lot of value to be had in doing that, because, you know, various institutions globally have been doing distance learning for a very, very long time. And some of them are incredibly good at it. Um, So the likes of Stanford and MIT and the Open University have all had either MOOCs, massively open online content, or distance learning courses, or some combination of the two for, well, as I said, decades. So the first thing I did was to look around what I thought was good quality content. Was there any patterns in what I considered to be good quality content? And if they were, what were they? 
And likewise, you can't always look at the good. I went to try and find some awful stuff as well. And I, I, I tried to find some patterns there and there were quite a few patterns. So what I'd say is there are sort of three main pitfalls that Mm -hmm. I'd highlight here. And the first really is not to forget that, you know, the online world is a very, very different beast to being in a lecture hall. Absolutely, yes. And, you know, you've got to make a transition. Some of the most cringeworthy content I found was where that transition had not been made. There was, in one case, three hours and 41 minutes of black and white PowerPoint slides with an illegible (laughs) thumbnail of somebody talking at a screen in the corner. And the audio quality was dire. And quite frankly, one lost the will to live after about listening to 10 minutes of this. And you just thought, my goodness, there's been no thought or consideration here by either the lecturer or the production team, if there was one, as to what the students are going to make of this. Yes. And in particular context of COVID, I mean, the students had a very rough deal, I think. There they were, dragged back into an infectious environment, but told to stay in their rooms, um, not to go to lecture halls, not to have any social contact. Mm. The last thing you want at that point is dull learning content. I mean, it just makes everything depressing. (laughs) So there's so much you can exploit in the world of video. Do it. Put the effort in, make that transition, leave the research behind for a bit, go and actually make a good professional job of it. So that's what I'd say the first pitfall is, is see how to transition, transition effectively and try and get as much out of the medium as you can. Make it fun for the folk at the other end of it. Yes, I think your example is a subset of the more general problem in communication, which is people often think exclusively about what it is they want to say, rather than thinking about the listener or the receiver and how the how the content will affect them. So the headline message there is that what works offline doesn't necessarily work online. Now, have you any thoughts concerning the length of the content? Absolutely. And in many ways, this is one of my complete bugbears. Because if one thinks about what the constraints are in a lecture hall, you've got a timetable. You've Mm. got maybe 45, maybe 55 minutes, maybe an hour, maybe an hour and a half, depending on the institution. And people package their content to suit a time frame, not to suit learning. So what you have in the online environment is complete liberty to tailor the length of the content to a learning outcome. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really important. Others may disagree, but I think that if you can keep the length to a point where you can encapsulate one learning point, a lot of the content I produced was fairly technical content. And so if I wanted to make one point on an aspect of fluid mechanics, that would be a video. Mm. And that would be summarized succinctly at the end. So it was obvious what those learning points were. And the length of it might have been anywhere between five minutes and say 20 minutes, not an hour. And then maybe to make the timetable work, so to speak, I'd have either three of those video sections or in Mm -hmm. some cases four of those video sections to be roughly equivalent to the length of a lecture. I see, yeah. But the thing is, you can, from a user standpoint, look at it, rewind it, understand it, go away and have a cup of tea, go and play some sport, go and do some music, come back and look at the next bit. And hopefully that all aids learning. Now, there there was a nice um, bit of irony here in many ways that actually worked for me because up until 2019, 
there was a directive, I think it was EU-based, that anything that you didn't buy as a video recorder actually had a recording limit on it. Um, right. And so because I was basically putting together a fairly ad hoc set of equipment, I used two very old beat-up mobile phones as my main cameras. And they're restricted in hardware to 30 minutes of recording maximum. Uh, okay. right. <laughs> and so that's brilliant because it works for you in that case because you have to think very carefully about, yeah. well, what am I doing? How long is it going to be? Am I going to be cut off halfway through? How do I guarantee that I'm not cut off halfway through? Yes. And so it automatically forces you into sort of a soundbite type format, yes. which I particularly like. Yes. So I think, yes, making online stuff too long is very easy and doesn't actually serve to enhance the learning outcome. Okay, so thank you. There's obviously a lesson to be learned concerning the length of pieces of content. What about technical quality? Uh, that's a topic I, I know almost nothing about. What goes wrong concerning technical quality? Well, I think the answer can be either be a lot or a little, depending on how it's done. If you're incredibly fortunate, you have a technical team working for you, and they look after all of that. Yeah. And had I decided to pursue the official, for want of a better word, option that mm. my former institution was uh, giving, then that would have all been looked after. Mm. However, I like to make rods for my own back, so I decided <laughs> to do everything myself. Um, yeah. And so I think I'd answer that question about technical quality from a standpoint of someone who's trying to learn from it. So if you paint the picture of a student who's just been brought back, maybe in their first year, maybe in their second year, they're locked in their room, do they want to listen to poor audio quality? Mm. And I have a bugbear about audio quality. And you can see a lot of things online that are very, very compressed, very, very low bandwidth. And they sound like somebody speaking in a diving suit underwater whilst half drunk. Yes. And really, it doesn't enhance whatever the learning content is. So... Mm. One part of technical quality, I think, is poor audio. And it's very interesting to note that if you look at folk who do video production, they can rock up with a mobile phone as their camera, and that's it for the visuals. But the audio side is always a bit more involved yeah, because it yeah. takes a bit of time and a bit of care. Um, so that's the first thing. The second thing is distractions. I mean, mm. it's not so much technical quality as professional practice, this, but the two do go somewhat hand in hand. Right. And it's very easy in the lecture room to have distracting behavior. Mm. Equally, if you're putting together online content, it's very easy for there to be material that is in its own right distracting. Now, that can either be sourced in the person doing it and invariably has the same sort of look and feel as it does in the lecture hall, people fumbling or yes. doing things with their hands yeah. or having some yes. sort of idiosyncratic tick that kind of makes you giggle. Uh, but that <laughs> can sometimes be a good thing. Um, through to just poor visual technical things. For example, maybe there's compression artifacts floating around the screen that don't look very good. Maybe the video is of, again, a low bandwidth and it just looks awful. Maybe you've been overambitious and tried to put a backdrop in there that frankly just doesn't work mm. and takes all the attention off what's trying to be um, taught. So the other thing as well really comes down to delivery. And again, it's part technical and it's part professional, but speaking too fast, speaking yeah. too unclearly, just being generally dull with no vocal, mo <laughs> vocal modulation, yeah. all really, I find a massive turn off. Yes, indeed. And I've had a rather painful 
learning curve regarding technical quality when I started out uh, setting up a podcast. Now, we've looked at the pitfalls, so thank you for identifying things we should do that we uh, don't don't do or things that we don't do that we should do. Now, let's do the opposite. Let's let's be more constructive and focus on good practice. What are the key elements of good practice that you've identified that we should try and capture in our online lecturing? I think the first is be engaging. And many of the traits that you have in the lecture hall, I think you can translate Mm. over to the online format. Again, when I was looking around the sort of the greater mass of the grey literature that included online learning content, some of the most engaging pieces of lecture content were the best to learn from, I found. And I'll drag out one example in particular, which is Professor Robert Sapolsky over at Stanford. He's Mm -hmm. a brilliant anthropologist. He holds a chair of uh, anthropology and neuropsychiatry, I think. And he's he's a fascinating character, full stop. And I, I could talk for ages about him. But there was one of his freshman courses in anthropology as part of Stanford's distance learning content. And it was just filmed him in the lecture hall doing what yeah. he did. He had, a, he had a film team there to, to do all the technical side. And it was brilliant. Right. Um, he was engaging. There was gentle humor. There right. was a, a repartee there that came across even in the online content. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that, I felt, was a really important things so i think the first thing is is be engaging don't treat online work i mean you might be talking at an audience if you're lucky being recorded you might be talking at a blank wall you might be talking in front of a computer monitor but whatever you do try and be engaging paint a mental picture of having an audience in front of yourself and trying to win them over Mm -hmm. don't just look at it as a blank studio yeah um i think the other thing is to also tease out what it is you're trying to achieve. I mean, I remember when I was sitting as a first-year engineer being taught in the Department of Engineering at Cambridge. One of our lecturers in design was a brilliant guy, a guy called Ken Wallace. And the first thing he taught us was something I've never, ever forgotten. He said, "Okay, you're mowing the lawn. Your lawnmower's just broken. Mm -hmm. What do you do? Do you go and mend your lawnmower? And as few as, well, yeah, yeah, we'd go and mend the lawnmower. Yeah, yeah we're engineers. We like mending stuff. <laughs> and he said, well, what is it you're actually trying to achieve? Are you going to mend the lawnmower? Or are you going to try and find a means of keeping the grass short? Okay. Because okay. if you get too bogged into thinking about your lawnmower, all you're going to have is a mechanical device. Whereas if you're keeping the grass short, suddenly you've got so many options. Okay. And I'd apply the same thing here. What is it that you're trying to do in an online lecture? Are you trying to deliver an online lecture? Or are you trying to deliver effective educational content that can be delivered outside of a classroom? Okay, interesting. And at that point, suddenly you think, well, oh, hang on. People have been doing this for years. Yeah. I mean, there's the Open University, if you want to keep an academic example. There's many YouTube channels that are highly educational and brilliantly informative. There's documentaries on discovery. There's interviews. There's storytelling. There's so many ways that one can get an educational point across once you've got the freedom to do so. I strongly believe that the the online world has has great advantages and great disadvantages. The huge disadvantage is the lack of personal interaction. But the great Mm. advantage Mm. is it liberates you to go and do something a little bit different that might, shock horror, be more effective. So I think that would be the other positive thing, is think about what it is you're trying to achieve. Think about how you can do it 
without the constraints you usually have. Um, I found, and I'm not too sure the students found it effective, but one of the most fun things I ended up doing was trying to deliver some of my content basically as a bit of storytelling Mm -hmm. um, with different characters and with different interactions between those characters with a common theme as to what it is that was trying to be taught. Well, I won't challenge you to try to convey the uh, visual content, the the video content in an audio format on this podcast. So obviously what we'll do is uh, put a link into the show notes so that people can look at uh, one of the videos themselves. It seems to me that you're showing us that remote learning, distance learning, actually provides us with real opportunities for lateral thinking. And I I was reminded while you were speaking of um, an example from politics. I think uh, the Labour front bench spokesman, I think his name was Brian Gould, who said that decades ago when he was at Oxford, he learned through distance learning. And what he meant by that was he would meet his supervisor once a week and his supervisor would say, here's some good books on the subject go away and read these. And that seems to, that seems to me a good point. Now, it helps us a good deal by identifying elements of good practice. Let me also ask you, what have you learned from the, the process of producing the online lectures? Well, I think there's, again, sort of three things that I'd highlight. I mean, there's a huge amount of learning that I got from this. Um, and it seems to be one of those things that the more you learn, the more you realise you have to learn. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I think the first thing is it's really essential that you're organised and you're outcome focused. I think, especially with some academic character types, it's very easy to get lost in detail. And really, this is not one of those exercises where you get want to get lost in detail. Yes. Yeah. Certainly in the context of COVID, there was a very defined set of outcomes that had to be achieved within a defined time frame. And if you get bogged down in detail, you know what? You're going to miss all of those outcomes. Mm. Um, part of that is being tolerant to production errors. Um, mm-hmm. It's very easy to worry about every single last um, every single last uh. Every yeah. single last time that you miss something in a slide, you know what? Yes. Chances are people aren't going to notice. You notice, will they? And so I set myself a tolerance threshold, if you like, as to when I'd abandon a take and start again. And my attitude was very much, you can achieve 80% of what you need to do within 20% of the time. Right. That remaining 20% of what you want to achieve will take 80% of the time. Yeah. How good does it need to be to yes, achieve the right. goals? Um, so that was the first thing sort of wrapped up into that is plan ahead. Mm -hmm. If you go into a filming session with a very clear set of aims, it's probably going to be okay. Mm. If you go into a filming session, trying to wing it, it's probably not going to be okay. Yes. Yes. (laughs) You know, doing too little isn't making good use of the time you've got in front of a camera. And the chances are, if you're going into an online lecturing endeavor, you will have a schedule and you will have a deadline. So Mm. don't waste that time. Mm. But also the opposite is true. If you try and do too much in any given session, you're going to get tired. And that is so painfully obvious in a video. So try and find what balance works for you. The balance between being productive, but yet not letting quality suffer and fatigue set in. Yes, that certainly resonates with me um, in terms of my my experience of teaching, not online lecturing, but teaching conventional presentations. I find sometimes people get obsessed with the, the matter of trying to avoid the ers and the ums, mm. whereas in fact, those kind of paralinguistic features 
are actually uh, a natural part of a conversation and something that makes it authentic. So I think sometimes people overthink these things. Absolutely. Absolutely right. Now, we've learned from examples of online lecturing and from reflecting on the process Perhaps we could try and distill this learning in a series of tips. So maybe I can challenge you to say, could you give us uh, Dr. Bart's key tips for online lecturing? It would be a sort of a five plus one thing, I think. So I think the first is make the experience personal and make it engaging as far as you can within this sort of fairly detached environment. The second thing is sort of linked to that. Keep the student engagement, aim for short videos, aim for content that summarizes one learning point at a time. Don't try and do too much with one thing. Have good audio and video quality. Try not to make the experience of watching and or listening to the thing painful. It won't help Mm -hmm. what you're trying to achieve. If you can, make the content fun. I think people always learn better if they're enjoying stuff. The scope for making folk enjoy stuff can vary wildly depending on what you're doing um page after page of very dry numerical methods or computational algebra doesn't necessarily lean towards fun but there are funner ways of presenting it versus really dry ways of presenting it so try and keep it fun the fifth tip i'd say is try and take advantage of the opportunities that a video format gives Don't get stuck in this mindset of I've got to produce a 55 minute lecture speaking to a camera. The world's bigger than that. There's so much more you can do and there's so much more you can do that's so much more effective. The plus one tip would be if you're doing the technical production yourself, don't forget to factor in how long this can take. I would say allow as much time for the technical production as you've done for the preparation and recording. And if you budget that, then if you come in under that, then you're ahead. But if you budget for that, then you know what to expect. Brilliant. That's such a helpful and succinct list of tips. Let me ask you, where can people find out about about you and find out more about your work? Well, if folk are brave enough to want to go and have a look at any of the videos that are a result of the work, and they may themselves watch them and go, oh, good grief, what a load of rubbish then my YouTube channel is the easiest way. And if they search for Dr. Bart's World of Chemical Engineering, and I've given you a link, which I'm sure you'll put in the show notes, then that's a way to look at the online content. Um, I've also got an email address that's associated with that channel, which is drbartslectures at gmail.com. So thank you. Uh, But yes, we'll put the link into the show notes. Uh, Bart, I think you've done a brilliant job there distilling what Thank we you. need to learn about online lecturing, both in terms of learning from examples and learning from reflecting on the process. It seems to me anyone who accesses your advice, they're bound to benefit really in, in, in two ways, I think. The first is uh, saving a, a large waste of time. And the second is by improving the quality of the work. So, Bart, you've done a fantastic job on our behalf. Thank you very much. Well, thank you very much for allowing me to do that. I've really enjoyed that, and I genuinely hope people find some of it useful. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Grey Lit Cafe is edited by Dr. Bart Hallmark and produced by Frontinus Limited. Frontinus specialises in grey literature forms such as proposals, publications, papers and reports. The music is from Handel's Water Music, courtesy of the United States Marine Band and Marine Chamber Orchestra. Thank you.